Hello, and welcome to Public Affairs, an original broadcast by WRBH here in New Orleans. And we cover a range of topics relevant to us as a collective here in the city. Uh, I'm Anne Gio. I'm, as you guys may know, I'm sharing uh, the co-hosting duties with Lynn Koppel. So you'll be hearing from her some of the time and then me the rest of the time. Um, and I'm actually coming off of an extended break uh, hosting the show. So today is my first episode back. And I have none other than uh, Dr. Lena Aldajali to welcome me back. And we're actually welcoming her back because it's her second appearance. Hi, Lena. Hi. How are you guys? Um, so you were here maybe like last year to kind of talk about some eye health related topics, yes, right? Yeah, I think it was April of last year I came in and did a, a small talk about glaucoma. I think it was like a 15 minute talk. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And then I see you're pretty active uh, in the community here in the city. I've seen you on the news yeah. talking about eye yeah. health. Yeah. So you're uh, some of the best when it comes to communicating uh, <laughs> eye, eye issues, right? Okay. So I guess we'll we'll go back into glaucoma in this episode and maybe touch on um, any new, maybe recent research or developments, uh, topics that we didn't get to last time. Um and then maybe just you can share some tips on how to just maintain eye health in general. Okay, sounds good. So why don't you start us off here? Okay, so I am a glaucoma specialist, and I think glaucoma is actually a very important topic in the city, especially because there is a lot of glaucoma in the city, and there's a lot of undiagnosed glaucoma in the city. Okay. So what glaucoma is is damage to the nerve of your eye. The nerve is what brings vision into your eye that's irreversible damage. So once the damage happens... You can't bring it back. Um, And unfortunately, there's usually no signs of glaucoma. Um, It's just something that happens, and a lot of times people come in and they're already blind from it. Um, There's different types of glaucoma. The most common type of glaucoma is called primary open angle glaucoma, and that's by far the more common type that we see in the city and the surrounding area of the New Orleans greater area. Um, It's more common in African Americans and Hispanics. Um, risk factors for it are obviously race, like if you're an African-American race or Hispanic race. If there's a family history of it, you're more likely to get it. And then the older you are, the more likely you are to develop glaucoma. Okay. Um, Is there any, any um, elaboration on the issues with the ethnicity? Is it uh... So they're not entirely sure why African-Americans get it because primary open angle. So you can kind of think of it as like a plumbing issue glaucoma. Okay. So. What happens is your eye makes a certain amount of fluid every day, and it's supposed to drain out a certain amount of fluid. So with primary open angle glaucoma, their uh, drainage system of their eye looks normal, but there's a resistance of fluid going out. So they think there's a clog further down in the pipeline. Essentially, it reminds me of our drainage problems. Yeah, so yeah, it's kind of like a drainage problem. (laughs) Yeah, clean out those catchphrases or something. So yeah, so with African Americans, they tend to get that. A clog of their drainage system further on down than other ethnicities. Okay, interesting. Yeah, and so why don't you take us through some uh, any other risk factors? I know. Um... Um, so other the a big one family history that we just said, and then race, and then as you get older, you're more likely to get it. And then if you have um, a fam, uh, not a family, if you have a history of diabetes okay. or cardiovascular disease, you can be at higher risk of developing glaucoma. Okay, and then um, in my research, I saw. Uh, Something about if you wear glasses, does that not, or if you have vision problems already? Well, so um, nearsighted people, there's no real link. It's not hard and fast. Yeah, it's not a hard and fast. Nearsighted people, so 
Um, people who can see up close, but they can't see far away, so they need glasses okay. to see far away, tend to develop glaucoma more, but there is no real link. They've done studies to look at it, and they couldn't find a hard conclusion if okay. there is an increased incidence in people that are nearsighted Seems or not. like a likely case. Yeah. And then one another thing I read, which kind of stunned me, uh, because I had always considered LASIK surgery, uh, was it said uh, a thin cornea? can contribute, and it said that can sometimes, uh, if you have LASIK, it can leave your cornea a little bit thinner. Yeah, so there was a study they did in the early 90s called the Ocular Hypertensive Treatment Trial, and it's, what it was is there are people that walk around there, so one way you diagnose glaucoma is by the eye, your eye pressure, mm-hmm. and there's people that are walk around, around and they have higher eye pressure, but their nerves are healthy looking. So what the study was looking at is what do you do with those people? And oh what they noticed is people that had thinner corneas mm-hmm. were at a higher risk of going on and developing glaucoma. Okay, I see. So Lasix, the way it works is it um, the way they do the laser treatment is they actually thin out your cornea for the treatment of the... Because they do the corrective laser surgery to reshape your eye so to get rid of glasses. Yeah, and it thins out your cornea. So... The, what happens then is with your thinner cornea, you're at a higher risk of developing glaucoma, they think. And then also your eye pressure readings are a little bit inaccurate. Oh, okay. So it's, but it's hard to say. So if you were not born with thinner corneas, so say your th- corneas are thinner from LASIK, they don't actually think that's an independent risk factor. They think if you were just born with thinner okay, corneas. Okay, gotcha. So it's related, but not, we won't place it in the risk factor category. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then we were actually just kind of mentioning this one. It was This one kind of shocked me when I was doing my research. But it mentioned that uh, uh, repetitive tasks, like, for example, maybe swinging a bat or blowing hard, like a trumpeter may get it. And... Yeah, so that's another one where there's not a clear linkage. But... Um, the LSU Eye Center, actually, pre-Katrina, um, did a big study on this because there was obviously a lot of trumpet players yeah. in the city. Hey. And there's actually a well-established musician clinic. And a lot of the musician clinic patients end up in the LSU oh, Eye so interesting. Center. Yeah, so it's a, it's a clinic for musicians um, because a lot of times musicians, because they don't have, like, um, I guess... They don't have like a steady employer. Gotcha. They don't get have health that's, insurance. That's, so there's a yeah. musician clinic that the city set up, I want to say in the 90s. And so a lot of these people ended up in the LSU Eye Center. And they noticed that a lot of the trumpet players were developing glaucoma. Wow. So they did a study to see if there was a linkage. And there, there's not a clear linkage, but they do note that trumpet Some players tend, correlation. Yeah, do tend to develop glaucoma wow. more. Wow, that's interesting. I wonder... Um, how much the uh, outreach, for, as far as like awareness to okay. that little group, has been? Yeah, I'm not sure either. Because yeah. it wasn't something I even realized until I started working at LSU, and I was going through some of their old trials, and I noticed that that was a trial that was done. And so it was something that I didn't even realize, even going through residency. I have to start bringing this up in my musician circles and see yeah. if anyone's got some info to add. Um, okay, so we've covered the risk factors. Why don't we? Why don't you get into Maybe some symptoms to expect. Um, okay, so um, so the um, I guess I'll also briefly talk about the yeah, different sure. types of glaucoma. Okay, first. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. So there's um, um, different types. The main type that is in the United States is primary opening of glaucoma, and glaucoma as a whole is 
one of the leading cause of irreversible blindness in the U.S. Other causes are macular degeneration, diabetes, diabetic retinopathy. Reversible causes of, of blindness is cataracts. Like, that is a fixable oh, issue. Okay. So glaucoma is an, one of the leading causes of irreversible. I think it's the number two cause of irreversible blindness in the U.S. So there are different types. By far, the most common kind is primary open angle, which we kind of discussed is a cloggage of your drainage system, but your drainage system looks clear. Okay. The other type is narrow angle, where that one, your drainage system is too narrow. Hmm. And so that one actually can have symptoms. That one can have symptoms of headaches oh, or okay. your eye turning red a lot, especially if when you're changing light settings or noticing a blurring vision or headaches when you change light settings. Um, hmm. That's the one that can lead to an acute angle closure glaucoma because essentially what happens, your drainage system gets so narrow, it completely closes off, and so no fluid can get out of your eye and your eye pressure shoots up. Ooh. Now, is there a certain group of people that that type is more prevalent? So that type tends to happen more in Asian populations. Okay. And I see that more in Caucasians than African-Americans, although you can see, obviously, yeah. there's overlaps in yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. Kind of spectral. Yeah. And that type, actually, narrow angle, tends to happen if you're farsighted. So if you tend to need to wear glasses to see up close, but you don't need to wear glasses for far away, those people tend to develop. Because the theory is your eye is just smaller, so it gets more crowded. Wow. Yeah, so Interesting. So, like, for example, if you wear contacts, the little the number diameter of your eye would be, like, smaller? No, it's no. not really the diameter. It's more the length of your eye. So okay. it's more of if you're... Um, prescription is a positive or a negative. So if okay. it's a positive, that means you're far-sighted, and if it's a negative, it means you're near-sighted. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I did notice there was, like, tons of different types. They yeah, there's one, like, they, they had one that had exfoliation in the title, which so I thought was... So pseudo-exfoliation, <laughs> that's a different, yeah, and there's pigment dispersion. There's so many different types. And then you can also be, like, born with it, right? So, yeah, and I, was that, yeah right? so I actually go to Children's Hospital twice a month, and there are... It's not very common, but there are... It's called congenital glaucoma, so you're born with a glaucoma. That does tend to have a family history. Okay. Um, I mean, I see uh, families there where, unfortunately, like three of the kids have all Whoa. been born with glaucoma. Wow. Yeah. That tends to happen a lot in a Middle Eastern population and, again, African-American population, hmm. congenital glaucoma. Uh, kind of unrelated, little fact to what I, I saw. Uh, now, you mentioned the cataracts. Uh, now, those are the things that cause, like, their little blue or sort of green color on your eye, right? No. No. So a cataract is clouding of your natural lens. Okay. I think what you're talking about, like kind of around the colored part of your eye, you notice like a little white rim happening. Well, uh, it said that the the word glaucoma comes from the ancient Greek word for blue or green. So oh, I, like, I think you know what that means. Like maybe. So a, untreated glaucoma that um, essentially nobody treats and goes untreated, mm -hmm. it can eventually cause your eye to turn white. Oh, I think okay. that's, where, that's that came, a, where that came from. Yeah, I yeah. always like to look at the etymology and try to do some detective work there. And so uh, going back to symptoms, though, for glaucoma, so unfortunately primary open angle glaucoma a lot of times has no symptoms. Okay. And so um, somebody will come in and they just have noticed that their vision has been blurry recently. Um, and they have end-stage glaucoma to where they're essentially blind. And I've... It's really sad when you see it, and I mean, a patient that sticks out to me was in his early 40s and um, was always healthy, no health problems, so never even really wore glasses, and so never really had a reason to go get his eyes sure. examined. Yeah. 
and just noticed one day when he was playing golf that he just wasn't seeing as well anymore. Mm-hmm. And he went into his do- uh, he went into an eye doctor and they told him he had glaucoma. Wow. Yeah. And so I always tell people if there is a family history of glaucoma at the age of 30, just go get your eyes screened. Just go do tell it. Tell your kids to get their eyes screened. If you're African-American, I think at the age of 35, if there is no family history, you should just go get your eyes screened for glaucoma. Just to be protective. Yeah. Now, the the uh, pro- open angle, this is the one uh, where you start to lose your peripheral vision, vision correct? Yeah. And yeah. then it kind of like the t- tunnel vision, yeah, I guess yeah, they ends call up, it. Yeah, so the way glaucoma damage happens, and actually all glaucoma is usually this way, is it takes away your peripheral vision first. So that's why you don't notice your losing yeah, vision. Yeah, I was like, I wouldn't even know. Nobody really notices yeah. their side vision. And so by the time you end up, you end up left with tunnel vision. And that's when people notice they've lost their vision is when they're just left with a tunnel that they're seeing through. Wow. And then a, a, the tunnel eventually Can typically cl- progresses and gets even smaller, smaller and smaller, smaller, right? Yeah. Ooh, okay. So are, were there any other, like, maybe symptoms that people are easy to overlook or maybe some comorbidities that... So um, I guess the biggest thing would be family history. Um, And then other comorbidities, diabetes, high blood pressure, can always increase your chances of developing glaucoma. Um, Unfortunately, there really is no good signs to say if you're having this symptom, you might have glaucoma. Yeah, which is why I guess awareness and screenings are so important here. Yeah, awareness is, I think, the biggest key with um, glaucoma. Um, because it can, uh, once this kind of creeps up on you, it can really affect your way of life a lot more than people would uh, maybe consider. It can restrict your mobility. Often oh, yeah. you'll get depression, anxiety. I mean, it's very, um, you know, you have somebody who comes in and um, they're, you know, a lot of times this happens to me, they're like a truck driver. And all of a sudden I tell them you can't drive anymore because you've lost so much vision that you cannot get a, you're considered legally blind now. And so you can just imagine that, how that takes total loss of independence. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, there are some good resources out there to help with this. One is this, obviously, this radio station helps Ooh, a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And then the Lighthouse for the Blind also. Okay, yeah, I refer a service. lot of patients there. Um, but it is a hard, I mean, it is. Um, and that's why I always tell patients that are diagnosed this way, tell their kids to go get checked. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's just something you never know how it's, it just happens randomly sometimes. You know? Yeah. And I think the I think I read that they estimated there's an estimated 70 million people worldwide uh, suffering it. So chances those are odds are, yeah. you know, likely maybe you or someone, you know, might um, be susceptible to, to this eventually. Um, one thing I also did see, which seemed pretty important, was uh, how much it increases your risk of like falls or wrecks, things like that. Yeah, like, because you're I just know, not bathroom s- safety yeah. comes, you're, comes to be an issue. Yeah, you're just not seeing it as well. I mean, if it's hard for people to imagine not having their peripheral vision, but your peripheral vision actually gives you a lot of sight. And when you lose your peripheral vision, you know, it's almost what you have to imagine is if someone is standing next to you or if anything is on the side of you, you would have to turn your head completely to see it. Because on a day-to-day basis, like if Uh, I'm moving my hand to my side, I can see it. You can just kind of glance. You can glance and see it. But somebody with tunnel vision from end-stage glaucoma or just, you know, just other causes of it have to completely turn their head. So it does make it harder. And a lot of times I feel like, 
family members don't completely understand because they're just That's, like, you know, sense, yeah. you're reading the eye chart really well. I don't understand why you're telling me you can't see. And so I see that a lot, too. Yeah, I'm sure the uh, the um, the caregiver has to has a lot of issues to deal with as yeah. far as, you know. Because if you lose that independence, you really kind of makes you reliant on those People. around And you. that's why I think there are some good services. Because I think my big thing when I have patients like this is I don't want them to feel like they're losing their independence. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's important for the services that the city offers for them to get set up with it and help them essentially learn to cope learn with to how their blind. new vision is. Yeah, like one of the great things about uh, Lighthouse is... Uh, they they operate sort of teaching you how to live, you know, blind. So, for example, um, one of our board members works with them, and he was mentioning uh, they had this cert- this one challenge where at the end of all these lessons and trainings you receive, you have to go on a trip by yourself. So yeah. I could imagine that's uh, <laughs> really throws you into the whole problem solving. Yeah, apparently one of my patients actually told me she's going to a school in Ruston, Louisiana. It's a school. For people who are blind, and it essentially teaches them how to read Braille, and it teaches them how to be independent. And then this patient is not like a a kid. This is Mm -hmm. a 40-year-old woman who's going there, and she's doing it because she's just like, I need my independence. You know, I can't rely on people to take me around everywhere. And one of their things is, so I think you're required to stay there from nine months to a year. Like, you live there. And one of their requirements at the end is you have to take a trip oh, by yourself. Oh, maybe the same thing that he's yeah. talking about, yeah. Um, and then it also mentioned things like, does it cause less sensitivity to contrast? Yeah, it does. Yeah, okay. you lose your contrast ability. So that makes, and then you also, a lot of times, they lose their depth perception. So when you're going down like a set of stairs, it's Oof. harder for them to tell where how okay. deep the stair is or where a curb is. So, yeah, they lose that a lot of times, too. I mean, it makes it much harder. Yeah, so it makes sense why that you're six times uh, more likely to get into a vehicular accident. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, and so maybe now let's go into, I guess, how is this diagnosed? So this is really important. Um, it's the really only way it really gets diagnosed mm-hmm. is by going to an eye doctor and getting um, your pressure checked and getting someone to look at your the nerve of your eye. Um, those are the two big ways. Like those are the I should. Those are the two big things that you need to make sure you have done. So, a lot of times people will get their glasses, you know, every mm-hmm. year, and they'll come in. They're like, "Well, I don't understand. I had a, I got my eyes checked every year for glasses, but unfortunately, if your pressure wasn't getting checked or your nerve wasn't getting looked at, nobody was really checking you for glaucoma." So the the when they check the nerve, this they dilate your eyes. They correct? dilate okay. your eyes. Yeah. So you get a dilated eye exam. And you have your eye pressure checked. Is this the little air puff machine? That's one way to do oh, it. We do it a thing. different way. Oh, God. <laughs> and we do it a different way. And, you know, honestly, eye pressure doesn't always mean glaucoma. You know, someone can have a normal eye pressure and still develop glaucoma. Well, that's convenient. <laughs> yeah, I know. So that's why it's really yeah. important to have a dilated eye exam, too. Okay. And then I know there's talk about all these um, artificial intelligent, new smart diagnostic tools. What's your opinion of those? So actually, I'm not really familiar with like the apps you're talking about. That they well, have. there's a, a couple apps. Uh, one was called Peak Acuity. One was called Peak Retina. But it seems like a lot of them center on uh, using like a smartphone camera attachment to take a picture. So the only or... way that would work, I think, is if they could get a picture of the nerve of the eye and then someone be able to interpret that nerve of the eye. Yeah, you know I think I mean? they were using the AI to do the interpretation, interpretation of the nerve. But they, they did mention it would really only be useful maybe in regions where there's a, Poor, a lack of access. to care, which is, um, can be an odd yeah. issue, especially in the surrounding area of New Orleans. Um, yeah, rural areas. areas yeah. 
Um, so, you know, maybe those will be developed. You never know where the future is heading. Um, okay, so we talked about sort of how it affects your way of life. Uh, you talk about treatment. treatments next. Yeah, so treatment. Sense, yeah. So um, I was actually, before we started this program, mm-hmm. I was telling you there was actually a new study that just came out. So there's three different ways of treating, not three, there's three different steps, I guess, in treating glaucoma. The first thing is, is if you come in, your eye pressure's high, someone's probably going to offer to start you on drops. And then after drops, there's like a laser treatment that you can do in clinic. It's not really a surgery. It's just a laser it's procedure. It's non-invasive. It's very of. non-invasive. And then the last thing would be going in and doing a surgery. So the recent trial they came out with, and it was published in the um, September issue of Ophthalmology, which is the American Academy of Ophthalmology's main journal. And it's called the LIGHT trial. And what it looked at was um, in per, a newly diagnosed person with open angle glaucoma or ocular hypertension, which means they don't have signs of nerve damage, but their eye pressure is high. What's the best thing to do, starting a drop or going to the laser treatment first? And what they looked at was what was, is it as effective of lowering pressure as a, a drop and um, cost effectiveness and quality of life measures. And they found that um, it was as effective as lowering pressure um, that it was better cost effectiveness, a safe cost over time because the patient didn't have to be on a drop anymore. And then quality of life measures is actually was improved a little bit with laser. So what was the what was the reasoning behind the quality of life being higher for the laser versus is it just the, the drops are annoying to use? The or? drops are annoying to use. So the drops okay. have side effects. A lot of patients have trouble doing it. Also, a big issue I find is compliance with the drops. You know, it's not. Yeah, I, I read there was a stat that 80% of people did not use the drops as recommended. And I was yeah. like, what? How? Why? Because <laughs> it's hard to remember. You know, okay. some of these yeah. drops that patients are using it three times a day. Ooh, yes. And so some enough. of them are two times a day. There's um, two that you just have to do a nightly dose of. Um, And, you know, a lot of these people are on more than one drop, you know. And so it's more remembering to take the drop. Or, like, if you go out of town, you forgot to bring your drop with you. I mean, I had one patient who went to L.A., for the Saints Rams game, and he lost his drops in yeah, LA. So they're tiny. It yeah, seems like that's so he like, place. And you know, he was not with drops for two weeks because he lost Ooh. them. And the other thing is, is the refills of the drops. Um, so the way it works is they calculate out in the bottle how many doses are in there. And a lot of times the patients run out before the 30 days of their refill. So then they can't even get a Weird. refill of the drops because the bottles are supposed, I mean, I've had so many patients are like, every time I squeeze it, like four drops come out. Yeah, there's actually a intense study about this on ProPublica talking about the waste because they don't, they haven't switched to a micro drop system. No, they yeah. haven't. And so patients waste drops yeah. and then they can't get the refills because it's before 30 days. And so then they come and they're like, I ran out of my drops a week ago because I'm not due for my refill until like tomorrow. So they, they it's like a controlled substance where you can't fill it? Well, so the... it's a far, like a insurance. Insurance won't um, okay. pay for it. I yeah. mean, the pharmacy will give it to them, but they will you not gotcha. pay for it. And they're, they're a pretty penny, right? They are. Yeah. Yeah, they're pricey. Yeah. Um, and then I've also, I read uh, there was something called ocular surface disease, which was not So a a dry, that's um, dry eye. So because there's preservatives in these drops, Mm -hmm. it can cause a lot of irritation to the eye. And so then a lot of these patients, actually when I say almost all of them, end up developing dry eyes by being on these drops. Yeah. I mean, the laser study makes sense now. Yeah, the laser study makes sense. Yeah, because of that. Unfortunately, a lot of times people still need to be on the drops. So and then that last stage would be surgery. And there's many surgery options now, um, especially recently. There's been a lot of innovations in glaucoma surgery. 
Um, there's a lot of these what we call MIGs, which is minimally invasive glaucoma surgery. Some of them are done at the time of cataract surgery, and some of them are done independent of cataract surgery. Um, it's actually changed a lot of the surgery options in glaucoma, and this has all come out probably within the last five, six years, all these surgeries. So how many, uh, what percentage of cases, if you had to guess, uh do you think actually require this surgery? Once Probably about, so you have to understand, I'm a glaucoma specialist, uh -huh. so I see the worst of the okay. worst, you know. I end up yeah. seeing people that come and they have really bad glaucoma. So I say in my patient population, probably about 30% end up going wow. to a surgery. But you have to understand, I... That's once they couldn't be... Uh, yeah, I end up their getting... Their case was too yeah, severe, maybe? Yeah, that's essentially... I end up getting referred patients a lot of times for surgery. So it's a very... I'm okay. Different. I, I mean, in the average population, I think most don't end up needing surgery. But I... Yeah, mine dad is a little skewed. Okay, you're <laughs> not quite a, a random sampling there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Oh, okay, let's see. Any so we covered the new in, uh, innovations. You kind of gave us some resources. Um, do you have any like last uh, before we head out? Maybe any last tips for just how to maintain eye health in general? Uh, like how you would lower that uh, eye pressure or so eye pressure. Unfortunately, there's nothing that you can really do to do it. But overall, eye health is is related to your like systemic issues. So if you um, are not diabetic, well, even if you're diabetic, if you're a well controlled diabetic, a well controlled hypertensive, it does help prevent a lot of these diseases from forming. Um, just um, I would say after I think after the age of 50, everyone is recommended to get an annual eye exam just to make sure everything looks good. If your eyes are super healthy, then they'll tell you you don't have to come in every year. Um, what about things like uh, having inadequate task lighting or something? Like, does lighting really affect? I know there's all this talk about, about like screen, screen use, use or and, blue light. Yeah, and, so blue light isn't something that the American Academy of Ophthalmology think affects your eyes too much. I don't think there's enough research good, in it yeah. yet. I mean, low lighting does because you end up straining your eyes. And okay, see, I've it. always wondered if that was a myth or if it was true, you know? Yeah. I mean, it won't really, eye strain. Like, yeah, eye strain, I mean, it'll cause headaches. It doesn't really, like, change your eyes per se, okay. but it just, like, more bothersome to you. One thing with screen time, I will say, is people come in with really bad dry eyes these days because when you're staring at a screen all day, you're not blinking your eyes a lot. Hmm. So I would say one thing with screen time is um, every 30 minutes – look away for 30 seconds oh, and close your eyes just to give tip. your eyes a break. That makes sense. Um, and then, uh, obviously, things like don't smoke, right? Yeah, don't that's, smoke. Uh, yeah, obviously, yeah. That's protective eyewear. Yeah, protective you know. eyewear, especially when you're doing um, outdoors activities, um, even household chores. I mean, you see so many eye traumas. Eye traumas. Yeah, from the, <laughs> So uh, much trauma in general. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, the eyes. Uh, I actually read that. The eye, uh, new, there's some new studies that are can kind of link uh, when they look at that picture. Um, your eye, however your eye looks to possible like mental health. So they can do like early diagnosis. Diagnostics for schizophrenics. Oh, really? I, I, went, I went really in deep on my internet research here. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't know that. But yeah, I, I learned a lot here. Um, I guess one final question before we go. I ask this to uh, every doctor that comes in to talk about eye health. So, you know, when you're in med school, you could have chosen any type of medicine to practice. Um, so was there anything that, you know, particularly drew to the vision, to the eye? Our vision is so important. It's kind of a meaty topic. I think um, one thing is um, I really liked when I was in, op like, a, a resident. I saw cataract surgery. Mm -hmm. It was immediate patient satisfaction after having the, the cataract surgery done. And also you're helping people's vision, you know. It's... 
it was a very rewarding field. You know, it can be stressful at times mm-hmm. because, you know, a lot of times, especially when you get people with really bad glaucoma and, you know, you have to do surgery on their only seeing eye, <sighs> you know, so it can be, but it's a very rewarding field. You, you, um, you know, I feel like ophthalmologists are one of the happier doctors hmm. because of what we're doing is a very, we get instant gratification from what we do. <laughs> oh, oh, gotta love that, huh? Yeah. <laughs> that delayed gratification is a real pain. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for joining us today, Lena. Oh, thank um, you for having me. And hopefully we'll hear more from you soon. Um, did you have any, I don't know if you, uh, I guess you were, you're at LSU Eye Bank, right? At LSU Eye Center, yeah. It's on um, St. Charles Avenue. And then also I go once a week to a clinic in Metairie that's um, not affiliated with LSU. It's um, it's called Hike and Terrell. It's a pr- clinic on veterans next to Simar. But, yeah, mostly at LSU. Okay. And uh, whenever we post the interview, we'll... Uh Maybe leave your handle if anyone wants to get in touch with you or anything like that. Um, All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. That's our show for today. Again, that was Dr. Lena Altajeli. And thanks for listening to Public Affairs on WRBH 88.3 FM. Be sure to tune in every Monday at 3 p.m. and Sundays at 8 a.m. for more Public Affairs. And don't forget, you can also listen at WRBH.org or stream it live from our app. Thanks. Thanks.